everybody. You are listening to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. Today is Tuesday, May 22nd, 2018, and I'm your host, Matt Wyrick, along with Kevin Haswell. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing well. You know, the Phillies got a big win over the Braves yesterday, uh, pulling closer to that first place in the uh, National League East. Nick Pavetta, who, uh, you know, your national sent over for Jonathan Pavelbon, has been a stud this year. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's been great to see some of my favorite teams uh, turn around this year with the Sixers, you know, going to playoffs, uh, winning a playoff series, and the Phillies looking like, uh, you know, playoff contender, and, you know, I, all hopes are for the Buccaneers. So, you know, looking up right now, uh, you, I know as much as you do that when your favorite teams are winning, you know, the boot is just automatically increased, and uh, I'm doing well. How about yourself, Matt? Yeah, for once in my life, I was actually rooting for the Phillies yesterday because the Braves were in first place of the NL East. Um, Nats won behind a three-run homer on the first pitch of the first at-bat of his first career start, Juan Soto, hitting a three-run bomb. It is the the story of baseball yesterday. Uh, and I was at the game, and honestly, I can say, you know, I've been to a pretty few crazy baseball moments. I was at Jason Worth's walk-off home run in Game 4 of the NLDS uh, in 2012 of uh, been to the game right after uh, Max Scherzer's uh, no-hitter was was a perfect game, spoiled by, um, of course, uh, the Pirates leaning into a pitch and uh, everybody booing. A great moment there of, of the guy when he walked up. Um, but this was something different. It was just the, the atmosphere. Everybody, no one was expecting it. And, you know, for it to happen so quickly, I mean, it was just a gasp, a collective gasp across the entire stadium as soon as that ball was hit. And, I mean, you know, Nats go on to win 10-2. to Bryce Harper hits a bomb. Mark Reynolds hits two. Gio Gonzalez was excellent. I mean, you know, all-around great game. Nats only three games back uh, in that NL East. So, you know, they're right there in it. And, you know, that this NL East is it's going to be a lot of fun this year. I, I got to say, I mean, yes, the Nats have, have coasted, and it's been a lot of fun to watch them just absolutely dominate uh, the NL East over the past few years. But now that the Braves look incredible, the Phillies are contending, the, the Mets are somehow over five hundred. And actually have won four straight right now. Uh, you know, this could shape up to be the most competitive division in baseball. I mean, yeah, we have the AL East with the Yankees and Red Sox, obviously, being the top two teams in all of baseball. But I don't know. This, this NL East is it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of young players and a lot of, of, of exciting players. And sorry, Marlins, you know, you kind of have to be on the outside looking in there. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. Still think my Nats are going to pull through, obviously. But, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see. So wait, quick question. So I saw that one is Juan Soto their number two prospect behind Victor Robles. Or yes, is he number one. He's number two. Okay, because I saw conflicting things on you know where he was on the prospect list, but oh yeah, that's definitely a great comment. He's number two, and he's technically number one right now because Robles is on the DL uh, forearm strain. Had, had a diving catch that you know he kind of rolled on his arm a little bit. Uh, you know, no, he didn't get surgery. Is still rehabbing from it, but. Uh, that's why he's p- called up now. I mean, the Nats are so stretched thin on outfield depth. Uh, Adam Eaton's on the disabled list. Howie Kendrick just ruptured his Achilles. Uh, Brian Goodwin is on the DL. And uh, we had another kind of a prospect, Rafael Bautista, who is the default you know, next guy up in terms of outfielders. He's out for the season with a knee injury. So, uh, you know, the Nats called Juan Soto up out of necessity. He's only played uh, 29 days ago from today. He was hitting in low A. Uh, baseball right now and 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 he's had three call-ups since I mean that's just absolutely incredible he's the youngest player in baseball and if this doesn't make you feel old nothing will Juan Soto is the first player to reach the majors born in 1998 
I mean, that is crazy. Personally, I'm born in 1997, uh, and for you know to think about there are players now playing Major League Baseball that are younger than me. You know, you look at the Braves uh, with Ozzy Albies and, and Ronald Acuna too. I mean, that's just I I can't wrap my mind around that. I mean, I, I feel like I'm still a kid and. Uh, to watch all these guys come up and do what they're doing, it's just absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, a bright time for baseball. Uh, you know, we see it in basketball with all these young guys coming up. Uh, you know, some of them below their before their 20s. Um, it really shows uh, where the game's at and where the you know, age, you know, where all the talent is right now. And it's a good sign for, you know, all sports involved. Absolutely. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump in. Uh, of course, we have to talk about some NBA. I mean, the NBA uh, conference finals are going on right now, and although the games haven't been close, uh, we've definitely seen some exciting performances out of a few stars, and uh, none other than Steph Curry. Uh, in Game 3, Golden State blew out the Rockets, 126-85. Curry erased all doubts that he is not his usual self, scoring 35 points, tacking on six rebounds and an assist. Uh, had himself a great game. Kevin Durant chipped in 25 as well. Uh, and, and the Rockets just absolutely obliterated the, I mean, the, the Warriors absolutely obliterated the Rockets. I mean, there's no way getting around it. Uh, you know, James Harden, James Harden scoring 20 points. You're not going to win a game when Harden's scoring 20. You need him to be scoring 30 to 40, uh, when you're playing the Warriors. There's no doubt about it. So, uh, and, and Chris Paul only getting in 13. Yeah, he had 10 rebounds, uh, which was impressive, but, uh, you know, this, this wasn't a great game for the Rockets offensively. Uh, you know, only coming out of there with 85 points. The bench uh, was held, you know, pretty low. Eric Gordon only scored uh, 11. Only four players off the bench scored anything at all. Uh, so, you know, this was a, a bit of a disappointment uh, for the Rockets. Uh, but the Warriors continued to roll, and they just looked like the better team in the series. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you saw it. Uh, you know, both teams had their had something that went right for them and something that went wrong. You know, the Rockets talked about the concerns we've had with James Harden and Chris Paul in the playoffs. It's the first time Chris Paul has been in the conference finals. Um, and so the experience isn't there for him. And you look at James Harden, uh, you know, some have called into question, uh, you know, how he's played in the playoffs. And both of those guys struggled um, in this game. Um, you look at the combined uh, 33 points on 12 of 32 shooting. Uh, and not too great, only combined for four three-pointers. And, and you look at the other side, while the Rockets and Chris Paul and James Harden struggle, the Warriors got arguably one of their best players back with Steph Curry, uh, scoring 35 points uh, on 13 of 23 shooting. He had five threes. He had a perfect third quarter where he was 7-for-7 seven seven from the field with 18 points. And, you know, the way Curry bounced back and, and really showed that he's still one of the best players on the floor. And the step back we saw from Chris Paul and James Harden, uh, it's really concerning for the rest of this series. And, you know, after watching game th- uh, after watching this game three, um, you know, I could really see uh, the, the Warriors going on to win the series in five games. Uh, I just don't see them, the Rockets being able to go into Golden State uh, down 2-1 and, and win this game. And ultimately, I think they're going to go down 3-1. At that point, I don't see a team... Uh, I don't see the Rockets being able to pull off three straight wins. I think Golden State closes it out in Game 5, and it's, it's ultimately a five-game series. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Game 4 is the series. If, if the Rockets can't win that, uh, they're done. I mean, I, mean I, I think the Golden State is a better team. But, you know, the Rockets were missing a ton of open shots in this game. Uh, you know, you had poor shooting days from, from Chris Paul, James Harden. 
you know, guys on the bench, Eric Gordon only shot four for 13. So, you know, you're going to have, you know, that's kind of an anomaly, especially for this Rockets team. I mean, you know, Golden State's not a super special team defensively. They, you know, have a few uh, defensive stars, but they're not a team that will limit you to 85 points on a consistent basis. The Rockets were more beating themselves and the Warriors were beating them. Uh, and, and that's the thing about playing the Warriors is you can't beat yourself. The only way you can ever beat the Warriors is you know, you got to play basically perfect basketball, and the Rockets definitely didn't do that. So on, you know, on, on the flip side of things, the Rockets can't really play as bad as they did in this game. They'll probably have at least a bounce back game, even if you know they still get blown out. They're not going to score 85 points. They're going to have a better offensive day because that's just this team. You know, even though uh, the Warriors are, are a much better one, you know, the Rockets are still the one, number one seed in the West. Uh, you know, walking away with 65 wins in the regular season is no small feat. They're going to score some points, and, and yes, they had an off night uh, in Game 3, but I don't think that'll happen in Game 4. I don't know if they'll win, uh, but they're certainly going to play better than they did in this third game. Yeah, and you know, another concern for the Rockets had to be the combination of Trevor Reza, P.J. Tucker, and Eric Gordon. Um, in that Game 2 win, those guys combined for almost 70 points. Uh, in this game, they only combined for 23 on uh, 8 of... 24 shooting, I mean, not too great, shooting uh, 33% from the field and only combining uh, for that 23 points. You know, they're going to really need more out of those guys, uh, you know, to really open up the floor for, for Chris Paul and James Harden. I mean, if those guys are scoring, uh, then the defense really has to pay attention to them, and, and Chris Paul and James Harden are going to get more open looks. Um, you know, they are going to have to, you know, get Curry off the three-point line, um, you know, the way he was able to shoot. Uh, in game three can't happen again. I, I just don't think the Rockets can win a game where Curry, uh, you know, has a third quarter where he doesn't miss a shot and scores 18 points. I think that's tough. I think that, you know, took them out of the game. And, you know, uh, the, the one question I have for the Warriors going into game four is what are they going to do without Andre Iguodala because he's doubtful for tonight's game. Uh, could be a huge development for them. Who are they going to slide into that starting lineup? I was probably thinking Jordan Bell. Um, he only played 10 minutes in Game 3, but you know he, he's really good defensively. Um, and he, he's more of a wing, even though he's listed as a center. He's more of a wing. And you know I think he can provide uh, you know at least a portion of what Andre Iguodala can provide out there offensively and you know, distributing the ball. So you know, that, that's the one thing that's going the Rockets' way, that Andre Iguodala probably won't play tonight. Uh, but you know, I, I see it as another Warriors win, and they're going to close out this series. Yep, yep. We will see what happens tonight uh, when they square off for Game 4 over in uh, Golden State. Now, uh, the Celtics lost 102-111 to the Cavaliers in a game where Cleveland pulled ahead early in the first quarter. They, they battled uh, into the fourth where Boston had a late comeback but uh, ultimately wasn't able to erase the deficit. And, you know, LeBron James going off, scoring 44 points, surpassing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most uh, field goals in NBA postseason history. Uh, he scored his 25th uh, career postseason game with at least 40 points and 6th of this postseason. Uh, an absolutely crazy statistic. Um, but this series is now going to be going back to Boston. It's tied 2-2, where the Celtics are 9-0 this postseason. Uh, they certainly you know, hold that home court advantage very well. Uh, you know, Madison Square Garden is, is one of the most the loudest uh, arenas in all of the NBA, and the Celtics you know, play very, very well there. So, you know, Kevin, where do you think this series stands now? I know we talked uh, after Boston was up 2-0. You were a lot more optimistic about the Cavs than I was. Um, certain, I certainly think that the Celtics can still win this series, and, and I still think they will. Um, but what's your take? 
You know, the way that LeBron James has really gotten this offense involved, you know, in game in game three, down 2-0, he, he only shot the ball 12 times and scored 27 points, got really you know, the rest of the team involved. Um, and, you know, that's what I think he needed to do. And, and game four, he did the same. Um, he shot 28 times, but he scored 44 points. You got Tristan Thompson more involved with a double-double with 13 points and 12 rebounds. Uh, George Hill got more involved again, six for nine from the field, 13 points, uh, three assists, four rebounds. J.R. Smith, nine points, three threes. And uh, Kyle Korver off the bench was great with 14, um, four of seven shooting, including two of five from three. Uh, you know, I, I think my, my two cents is saying that the Cavs will win this in seven. Uh, you know, they could win it in six. I don't know if they're going to be able to pull out a game five victory in Boston, but when you have the best player in the world um, and one of the best players of all time in a Game 7 matchup to go to the NBA Finals, I just I can't pick against him. I know the issue with the Cavs is not LeBron James, it's the rest of the players. Um, but, you know, LeBron has been terrific this postseason. You know, a lot of people would have thought, uh, you know, they would have easily lost this series being down 2-0, but they've evened it up and it's the best of three series now. And, you know, I'm going to take the best player in the world over uh, a Boston Celtics team that really doesn't have a go-to score. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing here is is can the Cavs win on the road? Because, you know, if, if each team wins uh, on their respective court, courts in Game 5 and Game 6, we'll be going to a Game 7 uh, with the Celtics holding that court, home court advantage. Like I said, they're 9-0 this postseason. Might be 10-0 if uh, they win in, in Game 5 here. So, you know, that's that's really what it comes down to. And, and these games really haven't even been close. I mean, when, when these teams are playing on their home courts, they, they seem to be playing at another level, and, and nobody's able to keep up. And that's not just this series. It's kind of been the postseason as a whole. Um, we haven't had a ton of really close games. We did in the early rounds, uh, and a few, you know, come to mind. But, you know, especially in this conference finals round, both the Warriors, Rockets series, and the Celtics Cap series, nobody's really played each other close. Uh, and it's been almost all the home team. Yeah, the... The Warriors uh, stole a game on the road uh, over the Rockets, but you know I don't think the Rockets are going to be doing that to the Warriors in this series. So we might be seeing you know undefeated home records or you know something in one, uh, you know all the way through. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I mean, you know the the Celtics hold you know play just so well at home. And, and yes, you know you talk about how they don't have the guy. Uh, you know that's kind of been the narrative all postseason long, and they're still here. Uh, you know, Jalen Brown has been a very, very efficient scorer for them, uh, you know, doing very well, you know, had a weird shooting night, shot 10 for 23, uh, and his plus minus actually negative eight. Uh, but, you know, you know, they don't really need a guy to be the guy because they're so deep. Uh, they have the best coach in the, in the NBA. Uh, to me, there's no doubt about it at this point. Uh, you know, all due respect to Greg Popovich, Greg Popovich uh, you know, who has obviously the more titles. Um, you know, Brad Stevens, I think maybe not the best mind, but the most innovative mind. Uh, in the entire league and you know to watch him you know tear apart this Cleveland Cavaliers defense when the Celtics are at their best I mean it's been absolutely incredible to watch uh, and and I, I firmly believe in the Celtics I think this is going to be finally the year that we don't get a Warriors Cavs uh, NBA final even if the Warriors are going to you know sweep or win in five games over whichever team does make it into the finals yeah I mean I think in the day uh, you know, whoever comes out of the East to play the Warriors in the NBA Finals really doesn't have a great shot at winning um, even a game. I, I could see a sweep or a five-game series. Um, but, you know, we're, we're still differing on the Celtics-Cavs series. You know, I still think I, I have more faith in LeBron than you do. More faith in this Cavs team. Um, you know, down 2-0, I, I still said they have a shot in this series. I told you that 
you know, when they were down 2-0, that the Celtics were awful on the road this uh, this postseason, and, you know, they all, all they did being up 2-0 was just doing the job they needed to do, win, uh, which was win their games at home. Um, and, you know, the Cavs went home to Cleveland, they won both games, and now we got ourselves a hell of a series. So, um, should be very interesting. Yes, sir. Now... Among teams that are not in the playoffs right now, of course, we had uh, the NBA lottery uh, a couple of weeks or a week ago, I think it was, and we found out that the Phoenix Suns will be taking the first overall pick of the NBA draft uh, this upcoming summer, and there are two clear-cut guys at the top uh, of that list, Luka Doncic and DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Donkic is from Real Madrid uh, in the EuroLeague, won EuroLeague MVP, the EuroLeague Championship with, with Real Madrid, and was named Final Four MVP all throughout the season, capping off an incredible run uh, for a 19-year-old player who is going to be entering the league at the same age as a one-and-done. Typically, you know, the, the best uh, Euro, EuroLeague players that are coming in are a little older. Uh, Nikola Mirotic comes to mind. I believe he was 24, 25 when he uh, entered the league, but Donkic... Uh, you know, is going to be the guy or whichever team he goes to. He kind of has six foot six. He's a guard, you know, a little tall for a guard. A guy who uh, pl- plays ball dominant position, but not, might not necessarily, you know, be a passer. More of a of a guy that can drive to the lane, work off a pick and roll. Uh, a, a very a very good player. And then DeAndre Ayton, uh, a center, seven footer, seven foot one, uh, weighs t- two hundred and sixteen pounds. Uh, you know, a very big guy, but is also very quick on his feet. You know. Arizona uh, had him play a bit, as far as defensively, had him play uh, against forwards a little more often than centers, uh, and that, that helped him uh, work on his quickness, uh, you know, can be very good uh, on his feet, whether, you know, his defensive numbers was were a little shaky, but that's because he kind of had to adjust to that uh, position at first, but he was a, a very high-volume scorer, you know, scoring 20 points a game, uh, racking up 11.6 rebounds per game, and going on to win Pac-12 Player of the Year. I mean, you know, he's the undisputed best player in, in college basketball this last season, uh, and, and this is an interesting, you know, thing, because, you know, EuroLeague players have gone number one overall in the past, but Donkic, you know, because of his age, is such a unique prospect, uh, and, and the position he plays, you know, being a guard, but not, you know, kind of fitting like a Ben Simmons kind of guard, uh, more than your prototypical point guard, uh, you know, it, it makes for a very intriguing, you know, pick here. Where do the Suns go with this, Kevin? You know, I, I like DeAndre personally more than Luka Doncic. I think, you know, overseas, you, you get a lot of these guys that are very talented, but it's more of a toss-up. Uh, I mean, you look at Eaton's player efficiency rating in college, 32.6. Uh, he was able to shoot the three at 34.3% clip. I mean, I think all around he's the best player in the draft. I think this draft is a little different than in the past. I think in the past we've had a clear-cut number one. And this one, you know, you could either go you go with either of these two guys or even Marvin Bagley the third because, you know, you're, you're, uh, what you're trying to do a little bit more. Um, but, you know, I like DeAndre, you know, seven-foot-one side, the ability to shoot the three-pointer, uh, his defensive capabilities. You know, he averaged almost two blocks a game last year at Arizona. I like his all-around game, and, you know, in the NBA today, there's a there's a trend towards, you know, it used to be called a a, a, um, a stretch four, but, you know, it's really moved to a stretch five at this point. I mean, DeAndre the mold that the NBA is trying to get now uh, with big men that can shoot the three and play good defense, and, you know, I think I think Aiden's the slam dunk number one, uh, but it, it will be also very interesting to come straight to pick because they're acting... Uh, their GM was saying yesterday that they'd be open 
offers uh, for the first pick. So, you know, we'll see. But I think whoever's picking number one, it, all, it obviously de- depends on the fit. But I think DeAndre is the best player in this, in this year's draft. Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. But, you know, I think the Euro League is a better competition than college basketball is. Uh, you have older players, more experienced players. And I think it's kind of universally considered, you know, the best uh, the second best league in the world behind the NBA in terms of, of basketball. So, you know, I look at it as, as kind of like, you know, the MLB pulling players over uh, from from Japanese, uh, you know, the, the what is it, K-something, oh, I can't remember, uh, but the, the Japanese league over there, uh, you know, as opposed to picking a college player in the draft, you know, you have that international bonus pool to use that uh, on these guys. And, and I think, you know, it's just a bit of a higher level of competition, and for Doncic to dominate at such a young age, I really think you know that is something to be you know to consider here because he he's playing against better competition than Aiden. Yes, you know college basketball is a great uh, you know training ground for for potential college uh, NBA stars. You know, obviously being a one and done player, he doesn't get a ton of years, but uh, Doncic he played against, in my opinion, better players. And yes, they're they're not you know maybe prospects like like Aiton is and some guys that you know project to be future NBA players but they're older they're they're, they're faster they're stronger uh, and you know there's just more of a of a mind game to the whole thing uh, being you know playing against such veteran players so I, I would go with Donkic if I'm the Suns although they are you know, rumored to be interested in trading the pick uh, which opens up a lot of doors as well um, but as far as who I think should go number one I gotta go with Donkic yeah no I definitely I definitely see where you're coming from. Coming from with Luka Doncic, you know, the league is very talented compared to college basketball. But you know, DeAndre Ayton being seven foot one, being able to shoot three, and being um, you know just as amazing as he was this year, I you know I, I think he's the better player. But you know whoever this decides to go with at number one, um, you know I, I think they'll get a good player out of it. I think both of these uh, players will will be terrific NBA. Um, you know, NBA stars, to be honest, and we'll have to see. I mean, I think after those two guys, it's more of a toss-up um, what you're going to get uh, really down the list in the lottery. So, you know, if you're picking in the top two, you, you really have a win-win situation. I'm disappointed there's no Trey Young talk here. I'm still on the, the Trey Young hype train. I think whoever picks him, he's still projected to go top 10, uh, you know, which is, you know, nothing to, to shake your head at, but... You know, I was hoping uh, he'd come through a little bit more and maybe be more of the competition by the end of the season uh, for the, the, the top pick. I mean, obviously, his frame uh, and inefficiency with the ball are, are big concerns. But, you know, I love the guy, and I think that uh, he's going to be a fun player to watch when uh, he makes it into the NBA. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that. I talked to Blake Pace on courtside take yesterday about this. Now, I just don't think Trey Young has – yes, he has – a higher ceiling than some of those other players in the top 10, but the problem is his floor is so much lower than a lot of players um, in the top 10 that that's why he's sliding down. You know, there's a potential where he can be a, a gigantic bust, um, you know, his size and his size is a concern. And, and not only that, you know, in college, he was the number one guy in the offense and, you know, the offense was built about around him and that's why he was able to shoot, you know, 20 times a game and, you know, in the NBA, he's not going to be able to do that as a rookie. He's not going to be able to step in and shoot the ball 20 times a game. And, you know, that's why his counting numbers were so good at Oklahoma is because he had the ability to shoot the ball um, whenever he wanted to. He had the free reins over the offense. 
and he just won't have that in the NBA. So it'll be very interesting to see if, you know, he can create more of a well-rounded game, you know, bring more defensively, bring more offensively other than shooting. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. I, you know, I saw that yesterday that the Knicks are very interested in him. I don't think that's a great pick for the Knicks. You know, they, they picked a guard last year, and they really don't need a high-volume high scorer. They already have Kristaps Porzingis, you know, you don't need these two guys to clash. I think they need to go elsewhere. Um, and, you know, Trey Young has a lot of concerns. I think it's going to come down to fit. And I think it's going to come down to, you know, going to a team that really needs a high-volume score. Because uh, I don't think his value is anywhere but high-volume scoring. So we'll see. Um, you know, he could end up being the next Steph Curry, and, you know, I'll just be wrong. But right now, I just don't think Trey Young's going to be the next big talent in the NBA. You mentioned ACC Player of the Year, Marvin Bagley. Uh, who had a great season with Duke, scoring 21 points a game, uh, averaging 11 rebounds and 1.5 assists. Uh, didn't get rack up the blocks, only 0.9 per game, but uh, was definitely, you know, entered the season at least as the, you know, the favorite to be named uh, the number one overall pick a year later. But, uh, you know, played to his potential. We just had some other stars kind of step up more than we were expecting. Uh, you know, where do you think Marvin Bagley falls here? Do you think he should be more in contention for that number one overall pick, or do you think he... Uh, Kind of slips down maybe a few slots. Yeah, I, I think he's a clear cut three. Um, you know, the two guys we were talking about earlier are really the the one two for that number one pick, and then after that, I think Bagley's the next tier down. And I think he's a great player. He he can't shoot as well um, as some of these other guys, and that's a concern. And you know, the way the NBA today is, uh, you know, other than the stretch five. You know, what I was talking about, it's also, you know, some of the best players in the league, most of the best players in the league are either a guard or a wing player. So, you know, to have another big man, uh, big man, you really have to work around him. And I just, I, mm. I think Marvin Bagley would be a great player. He'll be a great player, but I think DeAndre Hayden and Luka Doncic are going to be better than him. Yeah, we will see. All right, our final uh, thing we want to hit on today is Manny Machado, who just hit his 15th home run of the season yesterday. Uh, to tie Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez for the MLB lead, uh, has been absolutely on fire to start the season, perhaps putting together one of his best seasons to date, um, but playing for the Orioles, who may not be rebuilding yet, but they should be, uh, and probably you know will come to their senses and deal Machado uh, by the trade deadline as the team currently sits uh, with a you know modest record of 15-32, and 32. Uh, very much in last place in the AL East, uh, nowhere near the fourth place Toronto Blue Jays who sit at 22 and 25. Uh, so it seems like a foregone conclusion at this point that Machado will be traded. Um, and while he's shifted to shortstop this year, he certainly can play third base as well. And you know whatever team acquires him will probably you know whatever has the, the bigger need at one of those two spots will put him there. Uh, Kevin, where do you think that uh, we see Machado traded to this season? You know, I think Manny Machado could uh, end up in two places. Uh, you know, first the Philadelphia Phillies, second the Los Angeles Angels. Angels, you know, have the potential in their lineup. Um, you know, a lot of guys, some open spots where they could plug him in. Uh, you know, I think, you know, how good defensively would they be on the left side of the infield with Andrelton Simmons at shortstop, and if they got Machado to move over to third base, you know, what a what a what an in defensive infield. And then you look over at the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, you know, Michael Franco has not been, you know, exactly what they've wanted. Scott Kingrich hitting in the low 200s, you know, they could really plug him in in a corner infield spot. 
and he, he would be terrific. I know he wants to play shortstop because he's in the free market, but you know, at the end of the day, that's just his best wish. That's his, just his wish. Um, so you could really put him over at third base. You know, the problem I have with Manny Machado is, is that you have to trade for him, and, and the likelihood of him foregoing free agency to sign an extension with whatever team um, trades for him is very slim. You know, there's so much money on the line. Why would you not hit free agency? Uh, you know, I, I'd say I'm 99.9% sure he's going to be a free agent this summer. So, or the, not this summer. Sorry, I'm thinking NBA. Uh, free agent this winter. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think there's a big problem trading for Manny Machado. You have to give up too much. You can't guarantee you're going to have him past this season. So, while, you know, I think the Orioles do have to trade him, um, I think that's a necessity this offseason. I don't think um, there's going to be as much interest as people believe because it's just a rental. Um, you have to give up a huge haul to get him. And, you know, uh, I think he has to be a great fit. You know, he is one of the best players in baseball, but at the same time, I just don't see uh, how this is going to work out. But if it's going to work out, it's going to be the Angels or the Phillies. Yeah, okay. I think it's funny. Um, you know, we start talking about how the Orioles have to trade Manny Machado, and then you get a ton of birds chirping behind you. They're obviously chiming in. Uh, disappointed that we're talking about uh, him leaving Baltimore. Um, but I, I think that there are two teams here that really could, you know, have the resources to make a push here. I mean, Angels' farm system is stretched pretty thin. Uh, you know, they're they're not going to be able to to ship out the prospects that. Baltimore is expecting they're they're looking for two major league ready starting pitchers and you know that seems like a pipe dream more than anything and they're probably going to have to settle on something like that um, but if the Orioles hold out and don't end up trading uh, Machado I think you know there's going to be people uh, calling for the front office to be uh, burned at the stake um, in, in terms of Orioles fans uh, just being fed up with everything so they're going to trade him um, it's just a matter of when not if and uh, you know I think the two teams here uh, to me one is Boston um, the, the Red Sox are, as far as third baseman goes, uh, have the second lowest OPS out of the third base spot. Uh, that's Rafael Devers uh, hitting there primarily. And his defense has been very bad. Uh, has not been able to adjust to the major league level like the team hoped. Uh, the, the, the Red Sox don't want uh, him to be a DH. Uh, obviously, you know, J.D. Martinez holding that spot, uh, alternating with Hanley Ramirez. They don't really have room there for him. They need him at third base, but... If they were to acquire Machado, that would be a huge offensive boost. I mean, obviously, their you know their offense is, is keeping pace with the Yankees actually uh, in that AL East. But to add Machado to that would give them that edge almost. You know, you think okay, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, and Giancarlo Stanton—that's the best trio in baseball of hitters. But if you had Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, and Manny Machado, I don't know that that up that seems like it would be right up there. You know, in contention uh, for the best you know three players in a row in the sport. So, you know, that's, that's a move that, that Boston has to be considering. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And with how poor uh, Rafael Devers has been at third base, that's, that's definitely a way they can look. And now an outside-the-box look, you know, talked about the Phillies. And, and yes, uh, you know, acquiring him would, would be uh, a big boost there. Um, and, and they have the prospects to do it. I just don't know if, if Philly is willing to deal those prospects because um, this is a team that has yet to hit its ceiling. Uh, and, you know, there's still some more reinforcements on the way. They're a young team. Uh, you know, I feel like, like Philadelphia is not going to want to get rid of its core um, because it's contending a little earlier than a lot of people were expecting. Um, you know, maybe, you know, you, you, you require a player that 
uh, might not be a huge difference maker necessarily, but bolsters your team. You know, you had some bullpen guys, maybe you know, someone for the back end of that rotation, uh, whatever it is. Um, but I, I don't know if, if Manny Machado is going to be a smart pick for a team that, uh, you know, is going into an offseason with a ton of money to sign free agents, uh, you know, to sign those free agents plus bring in up more, more young guys. I mean, this is a, a team with a very bright future, and I'm not sure if trading Manny Machado is the wisest choice for them. However, what team that I do think, uh, you know, could be benefiting from this is the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, their 494 OPS out of shortstop is the lowest in baseball. Uh, you know, that is uh, primarily held by uh, VR, uh, who is a very good stolen base threat, but has been horrible at the plate uh, and really just been a big hole in that offense. Uh, and one that was expected to do a little bit better than it is. You know, the record this season, they're 29-19. and 19. You know, not a lot of people are talking about how well the, the Brewers have played this season. Uh, and they have a lot of, you know, very good offensive players. Jesus Aguilar uh, has a 967 OPS. Uh, you got Christian Yelich, obviously, in there. Lorenzo Cain, Travis Shaw, you know, the usual suspects. Um, but, you know, that, that, that short state, short, shortstop spot, um, which actually Orlando Garcia is playing more shortstop now than VR, uh, you know, has just been awful. Uh, you know, he's hitting 243, 529 OPS, uh, just, just an absolutely, uh, horrible year for Arcia. And I think, you know, with the prospects that Milwaukee has, you know, they, they rose to the occasion last season. They didn't make the playoffs. Yes. Um, but they were in first place in the NL central for a, a big chunk of the season. And yeah, the Cubs had a late run, um, were eventually able to pull it off. But, you know, with the, the moves that, that the Brewers made over the off season, bringing in Yelich. Uh, bringing in Lorenzo Kane, you know, they showed that they're ready to contend. This is a team that uh, is, is here and now. Uh, their pitching staff, you know, has a few guys in Junior Guerrera, Chase Anderson, and, and Julius Chassin uh, that, you know, really make them a good threat. Their bullpen is really, really good, and nobody talks about that. Josh Hader uh, just might be one of the best relievers in baseball now, um, you know, with how well he's able to induce weak contact. It's absolutely crazy. Um, and Matt Albers having another great year. Jeremy Jeffress, Dan Jennings, you know, up and down. This is a great team. Um, but they're really missing, you know, another bat in the middle of the lineup. And I think Manny Machado could be that missing piece. And especially in such a tough NL Central. I mean, we kind of knew that the NL Central would be a little bit wide open between the Cardinals, uh, the Cubs, and the Brewers. You know, with all three teams kind of going for it here. And the NL Central slated to play against the AL Central this year. Uh, which currently has more teams under 500 than the entire National League. Uh, crazy stat there, um, but you know, with the NL Central slated play against them, you knew they were going to beat up on them all year. The Pirates have joined into this conversation. You know, it's a four-team race at the moment, uh, and, and it's been you know a lot of fun to watch. But the, the Brewers, if they're going to stand out among the pack. I mean, I mean, I think I think everyone's kind of just waiting for the Cubs to really hit their stride and you know be that team. But you know, why not one of these other three teams? And, and what are one of these other three teams going to do to make sure that the Cubs don't hit that stride? And I think the Brewers are one piece away. I really do. Uh, they have the prospects to get him, and, and yeah, you know, you might have to wait around a little bit to see if the price drops on Machado, but uh, I think I think Milwaukee could be right in the middle of that conversation and, and certainly has the tools to make it happen. Yeah, no, and, and I agree. You know, Milwaukee's probably a good fit. Boston's definitely a good fit. Now, the question I, I wanted to ask you was, do you think it's worth it for any of these teams to you know, give up on the haul at this point for a guy that you're going to get for half a season? Because I think we both can agree he's going to hit free agent after free agency after the season. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's, he's going to be a free agent no matter what team acquires him. He's going to make it very clear, I'm hitting the open market. Maybe he's open to returning to that team. Uh, you know, when they make that offer. But, you know, he's going to be looking to compete with Bryce Harper for the biggest contract in MLB history. Um, and, and they both could very well best Giancarlo Stanton's mark of $325 million. 
so, you know, I, I don't see, you know, any team kind of, you know, weighing the future in mind when they're acquiring them. I think they're all going to be looking, okay, what do I got to do with this season? Uh, and yes, it is a big haul, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, you look at what the Diamondbacks got for J.D. Martinez last year, and it was an absolute steal. You know, they barely had to give up anybody, no one in the top 100. I mean, absolutely, it's just incredible. That's not going to happen this time. You know, you're going to have to give up, especially with how stingy the Orioles are. You're going to have to give up some quality prospects uh, to make this happen. But, you know, uh, you look at, like, what Roldis Chapman netted uh, the, the Yankees when they dealt him to the Cubs. You know, teams are willing to do it. If, if you're desperate enough, if you think you've got that team, uh, you know, that's just one piece away from making a run, you know, the, the National League is so wide open right now. You know, the, the American League is clearly, obviously going to be Yankees, Red Sox, Astros. One of those three teams, you know, they're the three clear-cut best three teams in baseball. I don't think anybody disputes that. But in the National League, you know, the, the Diamondbacks have lost 11 of 12. There's four teams competing for the NL West, uh, NL Central, and there's four teams competing for the NL East. I mean, you know, it's anybody's game at this point. And if you think that, you know, you're one piece away from really, you know, separating yourself from the pack, you're going to go out and do it. You saw with the Astros, you know, they had to, to really, you know, go past their comfort level acquiring Justin Verlander last year, you know, not necessarily for the prospect, but for the money. And, you know, yes, losing prospects is a little bit different of a story. You know, you're, you're looking at your future a little bit more rather than having to pay extra money for the present. Um, but, you know, this is a player that can really be a difference maker in the middle of your lineup. You're adding, a, you know, an MVP candidate uh, that, you know, you really can't get anywhere else. It's, it's kind of hard to find a player hitting better than Manny Machado is right now. I think I can think of maybe three uh, you know, that are really, you know, hitting the cover off the ball well enough to say that they're a better player than Manny Machado at the moment. Um, you know, he had a, a poor first half last year, and his numbers look a little skewed from last season because of that. But, you know, since the All-Star break last year, he has been on an absolute tear. You know, he's proving that, you know, that those first-half struggles last year are clearly behind him. And, you know, maybe it's not wise necessarily to give up, you know, two starting pitching prospects uh, for him. But if, if that's what you really think is going to, you know, put your team over the edge, I see teams doing it, and, you know, it's it's funny because over the offseason, we were talking about teams taking such conservative approaches, you know, the, the Dodgers, you know, moving around money to get under the, the luxury tax, all these players that, you know, kind of sat on the um, on the, uh, the free agency market and weren't getting signed, and yes, there's even still players that didn't get signed, but, you know, I think teams are going to be more aggressive at the deadline because they weren't aggressive over the offseason, and, you know, we're seeing a lot of teams disappointing, I mean, the Twins, uh, we actually had a decently aggressive offseason, acquired a lot of guys uh, for low low amounts of money. You know, they aren't playing well. You know, the, the Dodgers obviously are, are, are really, you know, playing very poorly. Uh, we're not seeing um, the, the Mariners. You know, they, they lose Robbie Cano for 80 games, don't get him for the postseason. Are they going to be, you know, in there? The Diamondbacks, any, I mean, there's so many division races that are so wide open right now. Uh, and, and I think Machado is going to be the most coveted player in baseball. And, you know, that's going to drive up that asking price. So, yeah, you know, it sounds like a crazy ask for the Orioles. You know, it doesn't seem like something that's possible. But I think we could get very close just because the demand is going to be so high. Yeah, and I, and I see that. You know, the other question I wanted to ask you was about the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, you know, they're only five and a half games back of that division. You know, should they be suitors of Manny Machado because they're only five and a half games back and, you know, they lost Corey Seager for the season? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something you're going to have to kind of wait and see. I mean, the, the Orioles have said they're waiting until Memorial Day uh, to make a kind of decision on their team. And, you know, it's increasingly likely they're going to be sellers. Um, and Memorial Day is on Monday next week. So, you know, that's coming up. But the Dodgers, you know, if they can erase a few games, you know, I think they're 
you know, they're playing well right now. They actually swept the Nats over the over the um, uh, over the weekend. But you know, Rich Hill had another blister problem. He's going to be on the disabled list now. Uh, you know, they still don't have Kershaw, Tom Kohler, Hinjin Ryu. Uh, Julio Urias isn't available. Alex Wood exited his last outing uh, with cramps, and is they're not sure if he's going to make his next start. I mean, you know, yes, this team, you know, just won a few games, and and you know, we're able to to pull within a decent, you know, respectable distance in the NOS. But I don't think this team, as it is right now, is a contender. And you know, I, I'm, it's hard for me to say that Manny Machado would be the one piece that's missing uh, because there's just so many. I mean, this whole bullpen is just absolutely ravaged. Uh, you know, Tony Singrani, 7-0 ERA. Uh, you know, Pedro Baez is doing all right. Uh, Scott Alexander, Daniel Hudson, Pat Vendetti is on the team at this point. I mean, you know, these are guys that, you know, kind of journeymen, you know, dudes that really aren't major league pitchers at this point. And, you know, they're having to pitch high leverage innings. I mean, I saw it over the weekend. You know, the Dave Roberts is, doesn't really have a lot of options in terms of his bullpen. So, you know, if, if you really want to, you know, contend, if you're the Dodgers, you know, maybe Justin Turner's return gives you a, a temporary boost where you're able to pull maybe a few games closer, uh, and then you make that decision. But, you know, with the with the uh, Rockies and the Diamondbacks just not playing well at all, I mean, you know, the Diamondbacks, like I said, have lost 11 of 12. They had every opportunity to just absolutely pull away with this division, and they're throwing it all away. I mean, yes, they're, they've dealt with some serious injuries. You know, Robbie Ray's on the DL, A.J. Pollock's on the DL. You know, that's huge, obviously, but... You know, they are, they are blowing, you know, their biggest chance to win a division in years. Uh, and, you know, the Dodgers just might benefit from that. And, you know, we're only five games back, if they can pull maybe to two, three games in the coming weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Dodgers go in and be buyers. I mean, yes, their, their big goal before the season was to stay on the luxury tax line. Um, but at this point, with how poorly they've played and the injuries they've been dealt, that's not going to be possible uh, by the end of the season. So, uh, they're you know going to have to make a tough decision. Do we go you know over that luxury tax deadline to, to add to a team that you know has played so poorly? You know that's you know that's their decision. And I personally don't think right now that they have a, you know a complete enough team to make a run. But you know we're going to have to see you know once guys come back from injury. You know Clayton Kershaw uh, is, is expected to be back sometime you know a month from now, uh, maybe you know three weeks. Um, you know Rich Hill dealing with the blister should be back soon. Uh, Ryu is, you know, back in July, uh, you know, Alex Wood, you know, obviously they're, they're hoping to get back by his next start. We'll see, uh, you know, so there's, there's a lot of guys that aren't on the team now that, you know, they're kind of still waiting for, um, you know, if Matt, Matt Kemp can keep up his offensive production, you know, that's no sure bet. Uh, can Yasiel Puig bounce back and, uh, you know, why is Chase Utley still being your everyday second baseman? Uh, you know, you don't really have a lot of options there. So, you know, this is, this is a team with a lot of holes in my opinion, and, and unless, uh, they just continue to get lucky with the, the Rockies and the uh, Diamondbacks just not playing well overall. Uh, I don't see them climbing the ladder and getting back into the NL West race. Yeah, it's going to be tough. You know, five and a half games uh, is it, not, you know, very close right now. Um, we do have a lot of season left to play, but like you said, the injuries, it's, it's going to be tough. Um, I do think Manny Machado would give them a great chance at winning that division, but you know, at this point, it's tough for me to say that the Dodgers are going to win the NL West. Um, you know, they have been playing well, but we'll have to see what they do at the trade deadline because, you know, depending on how they play over the next, you know, 40, 50 games, can really decide what they're going to do at the deadline, whether they're buyers or sellers. And a little off topic, but Kevin, I've been meaning to ask with Kershaw on the DL once again uh, this year, have you finally caved? Is Max Scherzer the best pitcher in baseball? 
You know, I'll have to say yes, simply off the injury factor. I still think Kershaw, um, you know, Kershaw was healthy. I still think he's the best pitcher in baseball. I think that's just how it is. Um, but, you know, with the injury concerns, him not even being out there helping his team, you know, I'll have to concede to you at this time and say that Max Scherzer right now is the best pitcher in baseball. In my opinion, Max Scherzer is the MVP of the National League uh, with no offensive player really standing out. I mean, A.J. Pollock might have been in that guy uh, at the start of the season, but with him on the DL... Uh, I think Scherzer is right there with them and, and could be the first pitcher to win uh, MVP since Kershaw in 2014. And uh, I pulled a few stats, and, and from uh, in their first 10 games, I, I pulled all of the uh, um, MVP winners uh, who were starting pitchers. Uh, you know, there have been uh, a ton since 1913. Uh, Scherzer has the lowest ERA through first 10 starts since Vita Blue in 1971. Uh, who went on to uh, win that MVP there in the American League. Uh, so, you know, Scherzer is in pretty good company um, so far. He's, uh, you know, Clayton Kershaw had a 2.52 ERA. Uh, Justin Verlander had a 2.96. And not to mention, Scherzer set the MLB record uh, for the fewest innings to strike out 100 batters in a season. He's on pace to strike out 350 this season, uh, which is just an absolutely incredible number. He's also um, right up there um, with... Uh, who is the other pitcher who has the high strikeout rate? Can't remember, uh, but the, him and another pitcher in this majors right now um, are both above Pedro Martinez for the highest strikeout rate uh, in MLB history if they can continue that run, um, which is just absolutely incredible. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to wait and see what happens with Scherzer, obviously. But, you know, so far, so good. He's He's been, you know, an absolute beast for the Nats. Um, you know, leads the league in a ton of categories, and it's just been so much fun to watch just – a uh, future Hall of Famer. I mean, there, there's really, you know, especially if he goes on to win Cy Young this season, you know, I think he's a lock, uh, even though he had such a late uh, bloom in his career. He has just been insane for the for the Nats and, you know, and a great off <laughs> free agent signing. I mean, you, know, you don't often sign a player to $210 million, uh, and expect them to be this good for this long, and, you know, the Nats are really benefiting from that. All right. That's going to wrap up our show for today. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to check out our website at Pure Sports Network. Go to our Twitter at Pure Sports Net and like us on Facebook at Pure Sports Network. I'm Matt Wyrick. This is Kevin Haswell signing off. Kevin, any final words for the good people? Uh, we are going to see a Cavs-Warriors finals for the fourth consecutive year. I'm stamping that right here on this show, and you know I hope you guys all have a good week. Thanks for... Uh uh, joining us. Yep, go Nats. Thank you all so much for listening and have a good one.